Hello and welcome to Writing Relations Radio, an experimental podcast sharing resources, ideas and inspiration for adult educators and community organizers across Turtle Island working for positive transformation, liberation and justice. Today we are talking about Dialogue for Peaceful Change and we're joined by Ishbel Monroe who shares about her experience working with this international community-based conflict mediation methodology. She is joined by other members of the network on an online national talking circle. We start with a lot of communication skills and a lot of it is around listening. If you're ever talking with someone and they keep bringing the same point up again and again, um, and you're getting frustrated by it, it means they don't feel heard. And so what a lot of the work is when you're doing the mediations is reflecting that back to them so that they do feel heard, they do feel that somebody's got it. And then once they've felt heard, they can open up to be able to hear. It's an extremely experiential program, and there's times where it can be very... um, intense for people because it does bring up things like white privilege and good-hearted people with good intentions realize that you know they have done something that has impacted someone um, and they weren't meaning harm but it did and it just came from a place of white privilege and so it highlights all these sorts of issues. I've seen the mediations work in lots of different ways. Um, I did one mediation for a nonprofit, um, which was quite striking in that when I first called them, they told me it was an issue of who's going to put the toilet paper in the bathroom, but of course it ended up being much more complicated than that. Um, yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, you get down there and there's all these layers. And part of this process is looking at what are the pillars. So you look at the fears model. Of what are the fears that people have that are keeping this society going? And you identify what are the pillars that are holding up this conflict and, and how can we address those? Um, and so the first step is just getting people together and being able to hear each other. And often they won't hear it when the person says it. But as the mediator, you reflect back to that person so they can feel heard and also the other person gets to hear it because they can't hear it in their voice, the person that they're in conflict with, but they can hear it in yours. And so it causes um, a change. And you also do mentoring where you work with people to get them to really use I statements instead of attacking each other. Um, And I know this one woman at this nonprofit said that it, it changed her relationship with their children. It changed her relationship with her husband. Um, and it was just a huge transformation. The training has been used um, around the world, just a couple of examples. It was used in um, Uganda to try and help uh, children who had become soldiers uh, to be able to re-enter their communities, which was obviously very traumatic. Um, it was used in Northern Ireland. So when the IRA and the other folks who were in prisons were about to be released, people started going in and doing work in the prisons um, to build relationships between the two groups so that when uh, they came out, um, the same violence wouldn't reoccur. Um, We used a similar 
technique here in Nova Scotia. So when the Marshall decision, which reaffirmed the rights for Mi'kmaq to be able to fish, um, we did behind the scene work, bringing non-native and, and native fishermen together and having conversations. So you didn't have the violence here that you saw in New Brunswick, which was quite horrendous. Ishbel, I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can't wait to hear more about this. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, um, uh, I know that you've implied the connection between this uh, process, um, this peaceful dialogue, it's dialogue for peaceful change, and the process of decolonization. I wonder if you could say something more about that, how you see that. Well, I think it plays in on a lot of different levels. Um, for me, decolonial colonialization has caused us um, to be separate from each other, to um, come from an individualistic mindset, um, and to have, um, you know, has created the whole sort of patriarchal, um, we have. This system is all on the circle where everyone is equal, everyone has a voice, and it gets us to a place of recognizing that, um, Equality doesn't equate equal, that we all have um, our own needs. Um, it gets people to, because of the, the experiential, there's one particular exercise that really brings out um, white privilege. Things like, um, well, we gave them a hand up, you know, um, mm. by, by lowering expectations. And, and then you would debrief and say, and how did that feel to you, Team A, that you were given a hand up? And people would respond, and people would be, be like, oh, we meant to be helpful. And they get to, people get to look at and experience in their own bodies what mm. those things feel like. Um, and so there's been times after, after that particular exercise where different leaders have ended up different people, you know, taking a break, we usually always schedule it, there's a break right after, and helping people process differently. And it yeah. can cause a real mind shift for mm. people. Um, mm. You know, I've seen it particularly with um, white women who may feel that, um, yes, there is barriers for them as women because they're not men. Um, and um, go to a place of guilt, which is not useful, or go to a place of defensiveness, which is not useful. And this helps people to truly break through that and be able to see the human impacts around the whole colonial system and the whole structure, the way that it is set up. Um, and I think then clearly having the analytical piece around the fears-based model versus the circular model, um, which a lot of indigenous cultures from around the world have that worldview, um, which is very different, that we all are interconnected, that diversity is needed that and welcome. And then we do have an advanced workshop as well, where we go um, deeper into some of those issues and also 
um, go deeper into mediating yourself because it's very different to be mediating a conflict and mediating one that you are in. Yeah. Um, you know, because when you're in it, you've got your, your own emotions. And so being able to stay in that place of saying things with an I statement, being open and clear, um, can be quite tricky. And the main thing is curiosity. You have to completely suspend judgment. If you're thinking this person is a jerk and I'll never get it, <laughs> it's not going to work. Not right. You know, you have, to, you have to be able to look at, okay, what are their fears? That are driving them to have this position and and how can we get to the point of hearing them um, and then when you're doing an actual mediation process you get people to the point of brainstorming and coming up with solutions and then you can pair that back to we call it the issues but it's the fears that are driving them or whatever the concerns are um, to make sure that the solutions meet all these and it's um, it's quite amazing the things that that can come up um, and the things that that can um, work for people. And it's really critical to suspend judgment, which is a real trick on um, learning how to watch yourself. So you need to be when you're mediating to be very aware in yourself and in your body and to know. What are the flags? Like, oh, I'm getting tight here. Something's just impacted me. I need to call a break and see what it is that I'm dealing with so I can clear that away and continue to do this. And the best way I can describe doing that is by staying curious. So instead of judging someone that, oh, they don't get this, or you know, just really staying curious and asking open-ended questions like, I can see this really bubbling up for you can you tell me what that's about or you know like um, I can um, see this really bothers you can you explain a bit more about that um, and one of the key words that we never use is the word why as soon as you say to somebody why did you do that you, you have said you were totally wrong um, so it's it's finding a way it and it will, the word why will always make somebody defensive. Why were you late? If you say, what happened? Did something hold you up? It comes across as completely different. And the other key component that we always try and use with this work is to work in pairs when you're actually doing mediation, um, which works really well because when you're mediating, you need to be totally focused and sometimes you may not catch something else that's happening. So if you're mediating group with like eight or ten people in the room, it's helpful if there's someone else with you because they can catch body language and say, oh, when that person said that, this other one um, immediately tightened up. And then that lets you know that's something that you need to explore further. And it's mostly using um, open-ended questions, uh, reflecting back. So you break it up and reflect back what you've heard to them, pulling out the highlights. And it's amazing the impact that it can have for a person just to feel heard. When we go into a mediation, we always say, um, you know, there's no guarantee this is going to work. Um, and there's often times when you think, oh, hmm, 
you know, I wonder if we are going to be able to have some transformations here or not. And the key thing is often as the mediator, you want, you know, the temptation is to jump in and provide the solutions. And uh, you need to realize that then they're not going to hold because it is imposed upon. No matter how wonderful and creative they are, uh, the solutions need to come from the people themselves um, because then there's there's full buy-in and they know um, the subtleties that you may not know. And so not having an attachment to knowing whether something is going to work or not, um, but being willing to risk can be, um, you need definitely need courage for it. Um, to be able to say, okay, you know, I need to go deeper, there's something underneath here. And you're right, like some of the things that come out, so surprising, like things that you just didn't think were there. And for the person, they often don't know that they're reacting to that. I've had people in a conflict um, who suddenly realize that it has nothing to do with this person and it's their relationship with their mother and there's something that for whatever reason um, they, they do something similar and they're reacting on that level and so they need to process that and often will help them um, process that as well so um, yeah it's amazing what can come out and the key always is if somebody keeps repeating a point they're not feeling heard and there's something deeper under there that you need to keep drilling down to explore what's that about. It also deals with looking at the iceberg type of model and there's a whole cycle that you see of how there's a whole analysis of how conflicts have different stages and then there's the underside of the conflict. So often what you see in the world is people get various leaders together to resolve conflicts and come up with agreements, but it doesn't involve any of the community people underneath. So these people who have been having anger or resentments or all kinds of things with each other for sometimes generations are expected to suddenly get along because the leaders have come to agreement and that's not the way it works. When I was trained just in the Dalhousie method, um, I kept getting called down to um, the Bay of Fundy to, to uh, mediate these disputes between to some fishing communities and I was dealing with the leaders and we'd get everything resolved and you know two months later they'd be calling me back again and I kept thinking about we're not causing a shift a transformation for the entire community and we need to be looking at that and dialogue for peaceful change includes that um, you know so we did things like had um, we had dinners we had very large talking circles um, we did different ways of being able to connect the community so that there could be a shift, um, a transformation, and a shift in the way that we look at each other um, for the entire community. And that's really needed in the long run for um, causing lasting change. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing so much, Ishbel. Um, and thank mm. you, everyone, for joining. Um, I'm wondering if we can just do a very rapid 
one word checkout, just like a word that expresses how this might have um, impacted you today or maybe how you, uh, what you take from it. Um, I'm happy to start us off and pass it again to the left. Um, I will say uh, gratitude is my word. I pass the talking piece over. Here's Suzanne, I'd say um, interconnected worldviews. Angelica, I think I am inspired. Barb, I have, I don't follow instructions very well, and so I've got relief and uh, gratitude. Zisa, uh, yeah, connected. I've been doing all this work very locally, so it's it's wonderful mm -hmm. to hear people thinking through the same things uh, in other places and being connected in that work. Thank you. It's Christine and insured, I think. Nancy, very thankful for the sharing and the reminders. Ishmael, and I'll say happy and This is the first one I've ever done of these kind of things. So, yeah, I wasn't sure how it would go. <laughs> <laughs> you did great. Thank you for joining us at Writing Relations Radio. For more resources, visit us at our website at writingrelations.org.